It's our ideal. Many people think that the best way to escape war is to dwell upon its horror. In the end, it's our ideal. Many people think that the best way to escape war is to dwell upon its horror. Hi, this is Monique McNeil, and you're locked in to Unity Radio, WTY 97.9 FM. Are you stuck in a dead-end job? Ready to have a career you enjoy? Vista College online campus gives you the opportunity to get a degree from a nationally accredited college in some of the most in-demand career fields from the comfort of your own home. Programs are designed for busy adults. Many can be completed in as little as 12 months. And associate's degrees can be finished in less than 22 months. Business, healthcare, IT, criminal justice, and more are just a click away. If you have credits from other colleges, they may transfer towards your online degree at Vista College. Taking classes online is perfect for adults trying to balance work, family, and other commitments. It gives you the freedom to design your schedule around your life. Call now to find out how to get started. See if you qualify for financial aid and get a better life. Call now, 800-880-5532. 800-880-5532. Learn more, earn more. Call 800-880-5532. Stated completion dates are based on successful full-time enrollment. Vista College Online Campus is accredited by the Accrediting Commission of Career Schools and Colleges. Do you have $10,000 or more in outstanding federal student loans? You may qualify to have your entire student loan forgiven with one free call. That's right. If you're a teacher, police officer, firefighter, or work for a nonprofit, federal programs are still available to have your entire student loan forgiven. Graduate Service Center wants to give you free information on all the programs that can help. The sooner you can call, the faster you can get relief. Get the maximum loan forgiveness, loan reduction, or consolidation available. Plus, find out in the first free call what you qualify for. A loan forgiveness specialist is standing by to answer all of your questions for free. Stop worrying about student loan payments. If you have $10,000 or more in federal student loans, this information could change your life. Call 800-579-4409. 800-579-4409. Wipe out your federal student loan debt. Find out how. Call 800-579-4409. Thank you for tuning in to Up Close with Monique McNeil. I'm your host, Monique McNeil, and today we're going to speak with a distinguished guest. He is a activist and a community leader, and it is my pleasure to always speak to and recognize those who are heavily involved in our community to uplift and empower our community, and it is my pleasure to have with us today Donald Osgood Sr. on the line with us today. Thank you so much, Donald, for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Monique. Appreciate it. Absolutely. It's, it's just such a, uh, what you say, a fresher breath of air to really, especially nowadays with so much going on <laughs> within our community, uh, to speak to someone who is really doing wonderful, wonderful things um, and such as uplifting and community outreach and it's just it's an amazing amazing thing that that what you're doing so yes absolutely um so right now you are currently uh with the boston 
Public Health Commission, Division of Violence and Prevention. You have yeah. previous tenures uh, with the Lois D. Brown Peace Institute. You are part of the Street Outreach Advocacy and Response, um, Boston Foundation's Street Safe Program. You are just really involved um, with the prevention of violence and community outreach. How did you become fond of, of this calling, Donald? Well, you know, I have to go back in time a little bit. <laughs> okay. When I, when I was a young fella, um, you know, I was very street involved. I didn't subscribe, per se, to a gang or anything like that. I was more like freelance. You know, I did my own thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was definitely in the streets. I've been on both sides of gunshots and stabbings. Um, hustled drugs for years in the streets, so poison to my people. Um, you know, at the time, didn't see it that way. And actually, my journey started, I was actually in college trying to pay for my school books, and that kind of led me into, you know, the hustle time and, you know, ended up doing some time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when I came home, you know, I, I decided this is what I want to do. I want to, you know, make amends and heal the streets that I was a part of tearing up. And so, you know, I started out with um, the Street Safe Boston program through the Boston Foundation, mm. which was designed to work with what they call proven risk individuals. And all that meant is that young, you know, young people who are, actively shooting or being shot, you know, and, and the idea of the program was to, if we couldn't stop it, at least slow it down. Right. And actually it was a great, great program. It was a real, real good program. We actually did some amazing work in that program. Unfortunately, you know, with, with the way things work, when something's working, you know, the powers that be decide that maybe that's not what they want to happen. Right. Right. So, it merged into the city's program, street worker program, where I initially was a street worker, but we were called intercept interrupters. And so my role when I went there was strictly to respond to shootings and stabbings that took place in the city mm. uh, at Boston Medical Center. So. Right. We were partnered with the program at Boston Medical Center called VIA Violence Intervention Advocacy Program. And so whenever an individual came through, we would be present, you know, make sure the hospital took care of the young person. Because more, at that time, we mostly focused in on gang stuff, uh, made sure that ho- the hospital took care of families, made sure that everyone stayed safe, right. and also did more trauma informed conversation um from there i traveled to the lewis d brown peace institute and what they do is support families in that first 24 to 72 hours of a homicide mm-hmm. and so while i was doing the other work i always wondered you know what took place for families after they left the hospital when they lost a loved one to the street so right. being able to be an advocate for a couple of years with them you know, I got to see the longevity, you know, not notwithstanding I already knew the longevity, you know, <laughs> from my personal experiences right. growing up, 
losing family and losing friends to the streets, but being firsthand able to help people was just amazing. And then the new role that I'm in, I've kind of been around it, you know, from the beginning of it, it started, the Neighborhood Trauma Team started in 2000, 2017. Started in 2017. Um, we had, I was a part of what was called the response team. So I responded to, you know, the scenes after. Mm-hmm. We did like psychological first aid with the community, you know, just kind of, you know, tried to stabilize and, you know, also gave out a hotline number to make sure that people knew that there was a place to talk about trauma. Um, And so now in my role, now as the Neighborhood Trauma Team Network Manager of Incidents, you know, I manage manage the incidents. So from beginning to families and neighborhoods are getting their healing, I kind of oversee that. So it's not as much direct contact with families like I was before, but it's definitely making sure that those who are connected to the families in the neighborhoods are doing what they said they were going to do so their families can, you know, get that healing. And I feel like if we had this back in the 80s and 90s, our, our communities probably would be a lot better. Right, right, which, which kind of brings me to, you know, the question of what can we do? I mean, what can we do as a community um, to prevent these types of acts of violence? And I, and I know this, it's a million dollar question, right? But yeah. what, what would you say could be a contributing factor to, to bring about this type of uh, prevention of, of violence and, and healing? Yeah. I, it's a, it's a million dollar question <laughs> in this. Uh, right. And it's many things that need to happen simultaneous, mm-hmm. you know, and, and something that I just bumped into the other day was um, I was talking to someone, they were telling me about, you know, their, their son's father and how he hadn't been present for his son. And, you know, I'm, I'm a Google guy, I start Googling things. Mm-hmm. And, Research, yes. and when I found out who the, who the gentleman was and then, you know, just kind of putting some two and twos together, you know, it, it made me realize a lot of the young men, you know, out here that are actually participating in violent acts, so a lot of them don't have their dads around, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of moms doing the best that they can to raise their sons and their daughters, but, you know, young young men need their dads. You know, they need a strong man in their life to kind of you know, navigate them through through how this world is, number one, but then also how to teach them to be responsible. You know, a lot of, a lot of these things that transpire, uh, you know, the, there's no responsibility taken, right? So if someone wants to be a killer, they don't want to go to jail, right? So they just continue to do what they do. And, you know, and then you look at, the biggest the biggest problem is really the systematic racism mm-hmm. it plays it plays the major role in all of this because absolutely you know the school system mm-hmm. is not really geared for our, yeah it's not geared for our young people um you know there's so many different ways to learn, but if you're only teaching one way, mm-hmm. of course the person that can't learn the way you're teaching looks like they don't know anything or if they if they're dumb or you know 
there's all the different things, you know, they have, uh, what is it, e- e- EAP, something like that. IEP. All the different, IEP, thank you. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the, the system doesn't support, you know, our young people. So, of course, if you don't get to finish school right, you go ahead and, you you know, you turn to the streets. If the family's jacked up, you turn to the streets. Mm-hmm. If you're hungry mm-hmm. and the family, you know, can't afford to pay rent and get food, then you turn to the streets. So, you know, the whole system, I'm not a big, I'm not a big fan of reform. I'm a big fan of tearing it down and starting from scratch. Mm-hmm. You know, because when you say reform, you're still holding on to some of the practices mm-hmm. of the past. system guidelines, right? that are the problem. Mm -hmm. So if we tear it down and everybody comes to the table to build a new system, which is very diverse because our, you know, our communities are diverse now and it's not one sided, but we continue to let one sided systems manage the community. So I think those two things is, you know, getting fathers to support their Mm -hmm. sons and daughters the way they need it tear down the system, rebuild it, you know, rebuild a new system, not rebuild the old system, but rebuild a new system, you know, and then holding holding our young people accountable as well, you know. I, I think what hurts our community the most is the no, sti- no snitching culture, mm. you know, which <laughs> I believe is just my personal belief. You know, I believe that you know, years back, and even it still happens today, but I, I believe that the keep quiet thing was really when you were getting abused, you know, mm-hmm. whether it was molested or raped, you know, don't say nothing. And so people took that culture into the street stuff and said, don't say nothing, right? And so you have innocent people being hurt in the streets. Mm. And then while they're being hurt in the streets, People are saying don't say anything, but these people are innocent. They don't fall under the street code. So if you don't fall under the street code, you shouldn't be held to the street code when something happens, right? Mm. Because on the flip side of that, if if I can't say anything, but I know you're still going to try to do something to me, then you really left me only one other option is to retaliate, right? Right, right. So, and it's, it's just know, this vicious cycle. Over and over yes. and over again. Um, what do you think would be the causation? There, there's been an uptick um, in gun violence around the country. Um, what would you say would be the causation of this uptick of, of recent gun violence? You know, and these are my personal thoughts, right? Of course. So when of I course. think about the uptick with the guns, you know, I know we don't manufacture guns. Mm-hmm. You know, so sure we have to figure out who's getting the guns into the neighborhoods, you know, because think about this, right? If someone's not working and even even the hustlers is hustling now, right? They're barely making it because the drug, the drug game is not the same as it was in the 80s and 90s, right? Mm. But, they're, but they're carrying, you know, 500 plus dollar guns. And, you know, they're carrying guns with, you know, multiple rounds, 30 rounds, 100 rounds. You know, they have some guns out there with 1,000 rounds. You know, this is mili- military-grade stuff. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. you know, and then you also are able to, you know, go to Amazon and buy extended clips, things like that, you know, to, to make your 10 shotgun shoot like a machine gun, right? So we have to get to that route, you know, and then you add COVID, right? Everyone is kind of, you know, I, I don't want to say stranded, but, you know, the movement is not the same. So people get anxious, mm. you know, there's because even as we talk gun violence, you know, domestic violence is up too. Mm-hmm. you know, there's a, there's a major uptick in the domestic violence. So you, you add, you know, being quarantined, people not really knowing how to, you know, de-escalate a situation, mediate, communicate, which if you only know violence, that's all you, you resort to. So I feel like, you know, for our young people, they haven't seen a lot of, they haven't seen a lot of adults who are able to rectify situations, right? So, you know, it's no wonder that they do what they do. And if you have access to weapons, of course, you're going to use weapons if you don't know any other thing, right? That's right. That's right. And this is why we need more of leaders such as yourself, community outreach individuals and and activists to actually come forward and lead. We need more people of color, uh, especially men, taking these roles of, of leadership and taking these roles of uplifting and healing. And I think if we had more of that, that I think that it, it speaks volumes, you know, cause you could take your testimony. You could really take your testimony and be looked at as a beacon of hope to every little black or brown child in the inner city community that you have, you know, your path, your journey wasn't always so straight and narrow, like you said uh, right. just a little bit ago. You know, you know what it's like to be teeter-tottering, you know, on that that line of, of the street life. But you could take your story and you are, you know, would be looked at as a beacon of hope that you can be anything, that you can change the narrative of of a written story, you know. Um so we need more of, and, and I just am so thankful uh, that we have people like you who want to indulge, you know, in that life and really, really lead. I mean, I see here that you even previously ran for state offices, um, such as mayor and state senate. I mean, this is amazing stuff. I mean, how, how, was, how was that journey? Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> How was that, Charity? Basically, you know, telling the people, everybody out there listening, that any dream that you may have or any type of uh, passion that you may have, just give it a try. How was that journey? Tell us, tell all the listeners out there, uh, how did you come about even deciding to run? Um, and what, what was that about? So, 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 so the mayor's race, right? So, <laughs> You know, and and I like I like our men. You know, I do. I like our men. Um, but I but I also understand that until you have walked in somebody's shoes, right? Right. The things that are important to them are not important to you. That's right. Until you walk in their shoes, so so we we need we need a black man as mayor. You know, and I say that not to say that we don't need a black woman, right? Or we couldn't have a black woman, but I feel like the country 
Mm-hmm. You know, the country hates black men. Absolutely. And it's only because they don't really, you know, they've never, the country's never given itself a chance to know black men. You know, we, we came over here on slave ships. You know, the indigenous brothers, you know, they got their land taken from them. So people have always been scared. And then, mm-hmm. you know, when we talk about policies and things, right, those things have been etched in stone. So where most people think black men, black people are animals, savages, mm-hmm. things like that, right? Mm-hmm. So here's how, you know, and, and let me say this here because I, I would be remiss if I didn't, you know. The way of my change came through God, right? You know, everybody, you have to have faith in something, right? My faith is in God through Jesus, mm-hmm. but you have to have faith in order to even navigate this this world, right? So, you know, a lot of a lot of me being angry with with the way things are, you know, in our city, and you know, I was like, you know what? What if I was the mayor? I'd be able to make some changes. I love it. So I started praying about it, you know, and, and, and what most people don't know, unless you actually know me, know me, know me, and was talking to me, you know, it was the year I ran wasn't the first time, like, I thought about it. You know, I had thought about it, like, three years before that. Mm. And I was like, eh, <laughs> you know, God, this isn't something I'm trying to do because I understand what comes with that. You know, I always understand the responsibility. Right. Yeah. Yeah. When you take a a particular role, whether that's a pastor, mayor, governor, city councilor, teacher, doctor, Mm -hmm. lawyer, whenever you take those roles on where you actually will have power to affect change in somebody else's life, it's a responsibility that should never be taken lightly. Right. Right. And no, you're not going to please everybody, but you have to do your best to make sure everybody is treated fairly. And so I wasn't seeing that. And so I said, you know what? I'm going to take a shot. And, you know, that that part of the journey was was amazing because I got to see people for real. Mm-hmm. Mm. You know, I got got to see the people that really supported me. Um, and and, the, and you'd, be, you'd be surprised. I had more white people supporting me than I did my own, you know, our own people. Mm. That you would think, like, all right, we know Donald. You know, we know what he's about. We know he's always looking out. But we're going to go with these people over here because we're looking for something like right now. We want money. We want status, right? And I had people sabotaging. I had people that were with me that were with me, right? Key people, and then they got an opportunity with a job, you know, and then they, they just disappeared. They didn't say, hey, D, you know, because even if somebody, if I was, if it was a, a role reversal, I would still say, hey, this opportunity's coming up. What you think? But if I believe in you, I'm going to ride with you no matter what, right? right. But I, was still with a, I still would have liked people to say, hey, you know, my situation, I need this. Because I'm never going to tell someone not to do something that's going to help them. So I dealt with that. I dealt with, you know, some folks coming in trying to, you know, do some gangster stuff gangster conversation, sideways conversations, you know, mm-hmm. and it just, it was a lot, but, you know, I was grateful for the opportunity because I got to meet a whole lot more people that were genuine in this work that really want to see change. You know, we just didn't have the funds to, to, to outdo some of the other people, you know, but 
And that, I feel like, go and, ahead, I'm sorry. And, and that piece kills me that, you know, it, it always comes down to money. It always comes yeah. down to money that even though your heart's in the right place, you know, they always say the, the most effective leaders are those closer, closest to the issue or, or right. to, to affect change. And right. typically those people are of color or are from the inner city communities. And we're not born with silver spoons in our mouths, but it's right. ultimately money that is the great divide that's going to separate you from Mike or, you know, it, and that is the part that just kills me. I wish that that, that could be another whole topic, but <laughs> I really yeah. wish, because I know so many people that want to indulge and take part of the, the civic engagement and being, you know, holding uh, state office, but lack the funding, lack the, the, the means to collectively get together $30,000 or, you know what I mean? So it's that, that's just a big barrier. I always feel like that's yeah. such a barrier. You know, there's so many prominent people like yourself who it's like you're you're more deserving of this role than anyone else because you have dedicated your life journey to this cause, to community outreach and to uplift and and you know, you've paid the sacrifice to be a leader. You should be able to do that. It shouldn't come down to the funding or money or how much you can raise in a campaign to decide that. So, right. So I think we're going to get there. I think we'll get there to a place where people will start to see, mm-hmm. you know, what's most important. Right. And, and I think that's, I think that was, that's what the real divide is, is when you don't really know what's important. You know, when I think, when I think 10 years from today, I'm not thinking 10 years from today, just for me and my kids. I'm thinking 10 years from today for, for you and your kids and for, right. you know, the neighborhood for the country, you know, that's, that's how I think, you know, because we don't, we don't want to do this 20 years from now. You know, we don't want to be, we don't want to have the same struggle. You know, Martin Luther King Jr., he had a speech 52 years ago, right? And his speech is, there's a book called A Single Garment of Destiny, right? If you ever get a chance to read it, Mm. read it. It's about Martin Luther King and just different things that he did, but he had a speech and if he said the same speech today, it would fit right in mm. today. So that means that we're 52 years in from where place. we were at the same spot, right? right. Same conversations, you know. And, and it all boils down to, to changing, you know, I'm sorry, not even changing, destroying and redoing the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, all these things, because when they were pinned, we weren't in mind. Mm-hmm. When they were we couldn't even sit at the and, table. Right. We weren't even allowed in the building. Right. We couldn't even walk past the building right. if we keep it real, right? right? And so you think about that, and that was that was really one of the main reasons I ran. You know, and then when that Senate seat opened, mm-hmm. I was like, dang, what's in my district? I'm going to take a shot. And it, it was the same, the same outcome because the same situations, you know, you know, our people, and, and let me share this with you, what someone said to me, and this, this hurt my heart. This was an older brother. Mm-hmm. This is an older brother. He said, you know, you're a good man. He said, but why don't you get with one of the white dudes and work mm-hmm. for him? 
And I said, really? And I didn't disrespect the older brother. I just said, hmm. I said, yeah, I, I think about that because I didn't want to like right. dig into him and be disrespectful. But right. what I thought about was why we stay where we are mm-hmm. because we don't have confidence enough in ourselves to even try. Right. You know, he could have said, you know what, young brother, I like you. Let me let me support, support you, you and help you right. get right there. Because cause if, if we get you in that seat, you're going to make change for our whole city. Right. Not just certain sections, right? right? And so I feel like we need that to take place. And that was why I ran. You know, and the Senate seat was a little different because the Senate seat makes policies. You know, you have people that are not like us, or I won't even I won't even go too black and white on it. I'll go. <laughs> you have people that that are not struggling to buy a quarter milk. They're not mm-hmm. struggling to feed their families, right? They're not struggling mm-hmm. to get their kids through school, through college. You know, through private schools, through college. So of course they don't understand the plight mm-hmm. that we have in our community. So I knew if I'm just at the table. If I can just get to the table and have that discussion and give people the different outlook, because if it's, again, if you've never been in my shoes, mm-hmm. you don't know what size shoe I wear. Right. You don't know what right. shoes hurt my feet right. until you get in my shoes. So if you get in my shoes, then you know what we all need, because we just need the same thing. We need them laws to change. Right. Because the laws are not built for us. Not at all. Not at all. Yeah. We, we, like you said, from the beginning, initially when, you know, these policies were written, we wasn't even allowed in the building. Forget a place at the table. We was not even allowed in the building. So it needs to be a complete, uh, complete reconstruction of right. policy and procedure. And we need to have effective leaders such as yourself, such as myself sitting at these tables and being a voice being a voice yeah. because we're not I'm not speaking just for myself I'm, I'm I have a whole community behind me that our right. interests and desires and needs and hopes are the same and that's right. the issue those who are currently in that seat our our concerns are not the same our hopes are not the same and right. we need people who can align with the same interest of our community to be a representation of our community. And that right. that's what it is. And we, we need more of that. And that's why I just take my hat off to you and all that you've done, the great work. You know, I'm constantly telling listeners out there to be involved in cu- your community. You, we have to care about what's happening in our community. You don't have to go the straight and narrow, you know, like I did and go get a master's and MPA. Like I did, you can be just an ordinary person You know, whatever it is, just have the desire to uplift our people within our community and to have hope. It's like we we lose the sense of hope. And it's like if I could figure out how to have more of our people, black people, to be more hopeful and more have more destitute of greatness, then we would be in such a better place. We really would all around. Right. All around. Like you didn't win, you know, when you ran for a senator and for mayor, you didn't win. But it was the hope that you had that led you to go take on that endeavor. 
You didn't know right. if you were going to win. You probably didn't. You know, you was like, I don't know what's going to happen. But I believe that I can get this job done. I believe that I can take on this responsibility. And right. it, it's that hope that's going to carry you further into to do greater things. I mean, what what are your goal? What are your hopes? What are you? What is your passion for the future? I mean, my my passion, my biggest passion, is for a safer Boston. Okay. You know, for for our communities. You know, we I I, I feel like you know I passed through Newton. You know, I passed through Wellesley. Mm-hmm. You know, different different parts of Boston where where the crime's different, right? It's not really major crime going on. Completely different. And, and, I, and I think about if I'm sitting on my stairs, I live in Dorchester. If I'm sitting on my stairs, there is a possibility that a straight bullet could hit me on mm. my stairs, right? Mm. Mm. I want I want that to I want that to go away because when you don't have that quality of life where you can just walk down the street, you know and not have to worry about anything you know and and this is and this is not even you know the people who are involved in stuff these are people who go to work every mm-hmm. day they go to church they go to the mosque they go to the synagogue wherever they go mm-hmm. you know they're just average citizens and that's not something that they're supposed to think about so i want that to happen in the city of boston without gentrifying black and brown people out Right. Mm. I want it to be where I can sit on my stairs and see my black, brown, white, Haitian, Jamaican, West Indian, Jewish, Italian, Irish folks on the steps to we can look across and say, hey, what's happening? You know, we can actually say to our sons and daughters, right? Yeah, y'all going up to the park and mm. and, and, and play yourself till you're tired and come home. Right. I would like I would love to do that. But right now I can't. So that's that's one of my major goals. You know, my second part to that is really helping these young people have hope. You know, believe in themselves. When you don't have hope, you just surviving. You know, day to day. But when you have hope, that's right. You're living. You're living, and you and you're and you're looking forward to the next day. You know, you're looking forward to achieving that goal. You know, I want to be able to leave my sons and my daughters something, you know, something tangible that they can hold on to and then they can take it and and do better with it. You know, I want I want all my kids to do better than I'm doing, you know, and it's by the grace of God I'm doing it now. But I want to see my sons and my daughters, you know, do everything that they have in their hearts to do Mm. and not just mine, but everyone's because that's what it should be. Well, I'm sure that's, that's. Absolutely. And I'm sure you, especially working, you know, directly in the midst of, of this type of, of violence that's happening within the inner city. I mean, you you got to think, I mean, does it concern you at all when you think about your own children living within this community? And this is what you adjure for your work? All the time. All the time. Yeah. You it's, know, um, I have, I have. My oldest, my oldest two, one's 29, one's 28. Mm-hmm. Then I have two daughters. They're both 25. I have another son. He's 23. He might be 24 now. Yeah, they, they keep <laughs> going. Then I have a 17-year-old right. and a 16-year-old, right? And 
I worry about the older ones all the time because you just never know what's going to happen out here, you know, and, right. and there's so much even happening with our young ladies. You know, we have human trafficking, all these different things that's going on out here. Mm. So I'm always worried about, about my kids, but I worry about everyone's kids, you know, and I, I say this all the time and I say it today too, is that I look at the, I look at every young person in the city, like a son, daughter, niece, and nephew. Mm. So I look at it, you know, and, and I, and then my prayer is that everyone would start to feel the same way because when you feel the same way, you know, I'm not sure how old you are. I won't ask, but when I was, you know, a kid, you know, I'm 52 now, when I was a kid, the neighborhood was like that. Everybody looked out for everybody. Mm. If, if your mom was working, my mom made sure you was good. If my mom was working, your mom would make sure I was good. And we have to get back to that. That's the, that's that real community. We don't have that in our, in our culture too tough, you know, because we have to go back. They, they took the fathers out the home, whether it was through drugs, through jail, through mm-hmm. death, you know, and our families suffered. You know, our kids grew up without fathers. You know, mothers had to do it all. And, you know, we just need to get back to, you know, that family piece. So that's, right. that's another one of my hopes wow. for our future. I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, would you run again? Would you ever think about uh, running for a state office again? You know, <laughs> I'm going to say this. I've been, I've been praying about it, you know, where I'm at right now in my role, it's a great job because I I get to meet a lot of people, and I, I don't know if I put this on my on my um, on my um, my bio, but I'm also on the board of the Mass Coalition to Prevent Gun Violence. Um, I joined that maybe two months ago, three months ago now, mm. and. You know, that's pretty interesting with my with my background, right, where I come from. But, you know, it's something that I understand. Like, if you never touch a gun, you'll never use a gun. Right. Things which you're able to have a conversation about will always happen. If you don't have a weapon, you'll be able to communicate. Um so with that said, if I've been thinking about it, but my role right now, I'm able to have conversations and, you know, I've been, you know, I'm, we, we talk about policy change within my job. Right. So we do talk a lot with the legislators, you know, the um, council, council, city council, the senators, the Congress. So you, you actually know, get the chance to sit down with these policy makers and... Yes, we get to we get to have those conversations. Nice, you know, with the Mass Gun Violence Coalition, you know, we get to have conversations with them as well. So I have two two ways I'm in the door. Um, I, I think we still need people that have the same mindset like me mm-hmm. in those roles. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. that's the journey now is to get the right people in place, not the yes yes or yes of people, but the people yes, that's going. <laughs> 
in and say, yeah, I was going to say yes to boss. <laughs> but, right. you know, get the right people in place to say, listen, nah, that ain't working. Right. You know, you don't even have kids. How are you planning on school stuff? Mm-hmm. How, how do you get to have that discussion? I think, oh, 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 you have this? Let's go over there, you know? Right. I think what what needs to happen more is they need to send people out to really figure out and find out what the pragmatic issues are of the community instead of just guessing or assuming or thinking one knows best or what would be of best. It's it's not very often that people really get in the trenches and go out to the community, go out to the schools, speak to the teachers, speak to parents, ordinary parents who are walking into a store or whatever. What are your concerns? What are your needs? What are your worries? Because that's how you can really create more effective policy. When you really right. know what the issues of the community are instead of just writing policy blindly. That's what I call it. Writing policy. Because right. I've, I've been in these classrooms especially when I was working on my grad uh, graduate's degree with potential policymakers. And it's like, oh, we should do this and we should do that. And I would straight up ask them, how do you know? How do you know that that's supposed to be where? Well, because based on, no, 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 no. You have not gone into the community. You don't know right. anything about the needs, the desires, the wants, the deficits, the what, what they're lacking. You're just trying to create policy in your bubble, in your office, far away from the community or the issues at hand. That's right. that's what I really feel. We need more effective people really out there, really having these types of conversations and getting a better sense of understanding of what it is that, that we need to, to go forward. So so you just, all you just said was that's what they're supposed to be doing, right? right. We, elect, we elect the people we elect to work on our behalf. Right. And they're not. They, they don't. They're not doing. No. You know, and, and, and because some of this is family business now. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, you, let's say, let's say your mom or your dad was, you know, city councilor such and such, right? If you decide to run, that gives you the direct input right to the seat. You right. know, and that's the problem too. We have generations upon generations. So, man, that just that just hit me. It's, <laughs> we it, have generations upon generations of people thinking the same way. You know, when you look at policy in the black community, when you look at policy in the in the minority community, where the, where we're not really minority, right? We got to change that language because you know that's what's so minor good. about us. I hate that word. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I dislike it. I really dislike it. Me too. You know, the the minority. Hold on. This is how they say it now. The minority, the majority, minority is what they say now. You know. Well, if we're the majority, why are you still treating us like the minority? But that's a whole nother conversation. A whole nother. <laughs> I and, and, and it is a whole nother conversation that I would love to have with you. You know, to come back perhaps. You know, in the future to kind of get your insight. Um, on these different issues and, and how to create change. Like I'm, I'm really starting to myself think about 
writing policy myself and and really speaking to some of those reaching out to some of those you know city councilors or those who are situated within the community and address them with my proposal because that's that's really where it starts i mean any ordinary person any regular person um can write policy you just have to reach out to those who are in place like the liz mirandas and you know the people who are actually involved in the city i mean julia here liz miranda Mm -hmm. china tyler um who else we got there nika nika eldegado you know, that's right. those, those are those are folks I, I love because I know I've, I've known them in the trenches before the before their seats. Mm. You so know, you- I've known them doing this work, you know, so it just made sense, you know, and, and you're right. I, I see you can do it. You know, you're you're in a position right now. And, and you know, and it's just something for you to think about. As you said it, you know, your your position to do it you know you have a, a radio show right so you're reaching people everywhere right right and once they know you're running because you already have the followers that's really what it's about if you have enough people following you and believing in you right and you can do it you know you can you can run because again if we don't have the right people in position we're going to stay in the same position right there's no never going to be that linear movement it's gonna like you said the same speech that was given you know 50 some odd years ago is still relevant today yes so you that- know and, and i'm sorry just because I, I i had the thought it left it came back that's when you get, get a certain name go ahead right so so the the biggest thing is your own research mm. we don't do you know and i say we you know our communities we don't do great research. Nope. So so we listen to whatever is the propaganda for the time. And that's what we roll with. So we don't we don't dig deep. You know, we don't dig deep into the Democratic Party, into the Republican Party. We just go off of what somebody says like buzzwords, right? Mm. But when you do your own research, you'll actually know better. Mm. And you won't even be running to the people that you consider to be saviors of the people, right? Because, you know, and I'm going to say it like this, the Republicans, they're blunt. And the Democrats, they're strategic. But they're doing the same thing to the inner cities. Right. So, your own research, that's, that's also, like, that's why it took me those three years before I made the attempt to run for mayor because I was researching. I was reading. You know, I'm an independent. So going back to that question, (laughs) would you run again? If if the if the opportunity arose and and I knew that the people were ready, I would run again. I say that. Okay. Because the people have to be ready. You know, I'm I'm always gonna do what I can from whatever role I'm in. But the people have to be ready, you know, and, and, and they're not ready yet. You know, I'm going to say that because, you know, I, I watch the statuses on Facebook and things like that. You know, I don't have hopes in, I don't have hopes in people that have already done some crazy stuff, right, in their track record, and they're just using buzzwords. I don't need buzzwords anymore. I need action. You know, I need somebody to come in and say, you know what? 
this daggone, you know, constitution needs to be redone. Right. So let's do it. Somebody's not afraid to say that. Right. Right. And have the courage. Yeah. Everybody wants to be be complacent. And be okay with what happens. You know, and, and I and I think I'll add this, you know, activists, right? Activism. You know. Real activism, people are either gonna kill you, they're gonna work on killing your reputation, they're gonna work on killing your voice. Mm. That's assassination. They they wanna stop you from bringing the change or being the change. And most people are afraid of that. Right. Because if you can bring about change, you're too powerful. Right. And so... Now you're a threat. On the table, people want to take you out. Right. And and here's that other piece to it, right? You don't compromise. So you can't... When you can't be bought, people are afraid of you because they don't know what makes you tick. That is so true. That is so true. They don't have they the, the strings. They don't know what to do with you. Because the system, the whole system, when you look at it, you know, we go back to money. Money is the root mm-hmm. of all evil. It's not money that's evil. It's the root. People want it. So if it's, if I can't, you know, my, my father was able to bribe his way, or, you know, not my dad in particular, but I'm just saying, like, these are those powerful people, right? Then they come across somebody that they can't buy off. Now you're a threat. You got to take him out. You got to take her out. Because we, they, we, we, thought, we thought they just were doing what they were doing because they wanted some money or status. And that's not what's moving them. So we got we to gotta get rid of them. You know, that's Malcolm X, that's Martin Luther King, that's Marcus Garvey. Mm-hmm. You know, that's all of our leaders over the years who've been taken out mm-hmm. because they couldn't be bought. Right, or they, they stood up or spoke out. Right. Mm-hmm. Who was fair? This ain't fair, so you got to fix that. But now nah, we're not going to fix that. You shouldn't have said nothing. Mm. We're just going to wipe you out so the rest mm-hmm. of the people don't feel like that's something they should want. Right. But or, or to or to create fear. Right. You see what I'm saying? There's there's a lot of people who want to do but there's that fear, is the element of fear that that keeps them from really pushing forward. Right. So it's like we, we have to be fearless. We have to be fearless in, in everything and anything that we do. We have to be fearless and have hope. And those are two things that you said from the very beginning, have, have hope and faith, you know what I mean, to, to, to keep pushing forward. Because there's going to be good days, and then there's going right. to be bad days and everything else in between. But, but if you got hope and you're fearless and you have faith, ah, uh, shoot, you, you yes. are destined for greatness. You're That's get, right. You can't lose. That's right. You might not get it today. <laughs> right. But if you keep pressing... It might come tomorrow, and if it don't come tomorrow, someday it's going to pop open for you right. to do what you were put on the planet to do, you know. Right. Martin Luther King said, he said, you know, you don't know what you were put on the earth for until you know what you died for. That's right. That's right. So it's it's moments like that that really keep us, 
you know, pushing forward. And it's leaders like that and like yourself. I meant, you know, we, we got about nine minutes left. What would you like to tell all the listeners out there about Donald Osgood Sr.? Hmm. About Donald Osgood Sr. <laughs> well, what I would I say what I say about Donald Osgood is, you know, loves his family, loves God first, loves the people, wants to see the people win, and that's that. And 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 if I could just add this, you know, I, I would I would say this to all my brothers, you know, everywhere you are hearing this message. Be responsible for your part in the village. Be responsible for your part in the village. Our young brothers, our young sisters, they need us. Doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. Mm. Need your guidance. They need your love. They need us to speak into them. Speak and call the greatness out of them. That's what I would say to my brothers today. Just leave them with that message because we can make change. You know, the government can't do it. You know, money can't do it. But if we show love and bring love to the table, like real love, you know, be with somebody even when they mess up, you know, help them get back on the right path, you know, be able to correct somebody when they're doing it the wrong way, Mm. they're doing it intentionally wrong, you know, still be able to correct them and put them back on the right path. That doesn't mean everybody's going to listen, but you still got to tell the message. Got to deliver the message. And what people do with the message after that. But our sons and daughters are counting on the men stepping up mm. to play. Absolutely. On. Absolutely. Absolutely. Such powerful uh, sermon right there. And I, and I hope all those who are listening could really grasp all what you were saying because it's just such powerful words um to to lead out you know this segment i want to thank you so much donald for being with us today and for basically sharing your testimony with us and i wish you well and i hope to hear back from you soon and I'll be in touch with any future endeavors and, you know, keep doing positive things for our, for our city and for our community and uh, for all those of color and for all those people out there. Um, thank you so much for your time today with us. Thank you, Monique. I appreciate the opportunity, you uh, know, and, and you're doing great things, too. So, you know. Just, just continue the journey and, you know, even think about running for office because I think you'd make a great leader in whichever role you decided, whether that's Congress, whether that's the Senate, whether that's state representative, the counselor, the mayor, the governor. Right. I, I appreciate you do a good job. I appreciate that. I appreciate that so much. Um Thank you so much. And I and I will definitely be uh, in contact with you because I, I, I can see us actually doing some great work together, actually. <laughs> but, so I will definitely be in touch and um, I, I hope you have a great day. Thank you as well. Take care. Appreciate you. So that was Donald Oscar Sr. He, he was doing wonderful things for our community and um, 
I want to thank you all for tuning in. And until next time, God bless. Right after I left you in the dark